0: You're listening to Back to the Light with JD Rieger. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Back to the Light podcast. I am your host, J.D. Rieger, and we take you now live on tape to the Memphis Listening Lab, where I am about to address the media. I'd like to thank the members of the media who did make it. College Radio, Weapons and Helmets Magazine, of course, Girl Beat, I'm proud to be here with all of you today at the Memphis Listening Lab to celebrate 100 episodes, a milestone to be sure, of the Back to the Light podcast. When I started this thing two years ago, I had no ambition to grow it into a thriving podcast network and record label as well. And the fact that it has is a testament to the support I, we have received. Thank you to everyone who listens, likes, shares, or gives five-star reviews to the podcast. Please keep the love coming because Lord knows I need it, and here's to 100 more episodes. I'd also like to take this opportunity to announce that my new album, Where Wasn't I?, and the new Subteens album, Volume 4, Dashed Hopes and Good Intentions, that I produced, will both be released in digital formats and on vinyl on October 14th by Back to the Light Records. Please stay tuned to backtothelight.net for further updates on these releases and for new episodes of the Back to the Light podcast. And now, I'd like to open the floor to questions if anyone has one.
1: Marvin Sackle, Genoa, Kingston, Kirkland News. Um, I'm curious, and insofar as your podcast has really been a search for meaning, a search for yourself, is there a connection between That theme and your new album where wasn't I it implies that you've been kind of all over the place searching for yourself Is that am I I reading something into there? That's not there or is that?
0: Uh, Well, it's sort of a record uh, a reference I should say to the fact that I've, you know physically moved around the country from here to Chicago and back in the time since I started Ah. making the record but also, emotionally, I've been sort of all over the place. And musically, the record is a bit all over the place, too. So, um, yes, I do think that there is a certain theme about my redemption and overcoming depression and alcoholism in my record that comes up a lot. So, yes, to answer your question, yes. Thank you.
2: Many thanks.
3: Please. Chris Davis of the Uptown Davises. uh, I've noticed that uh, the whole idea of being a fan sometimes gets a really bad reputation because of online culture. But something that's really interesting about you, I think, is in spite of being very adept at many things yourself, whether you're uh, interviewing a comedian, a, a musician, a wrestler, you arrive from a place of being a real fan and a good fan. And can you you. maybe talk about uh, what it means to be a fan or where that comes from?
0: Well, I've certainly always been a fan, and I don't think that it's a dirty word in any way to say that you're a fan of something or something. I know that certain people don't react well to being either called a fan or being told that you're a fan of that person. People don't take it well, so that's weird. It's not weird to me. I definitely purposefully try to treat booking guests on Back to the Light differently than I would, say, if I were a reporter for the Memphis Flyer, if that were a thing. where you sort of have to keep things like equal representation across different scenes and genres and everything else in mind. For my podcast, I only talk to people that I genuinely am either interested in or have a relationship with or a history of fandom, something deep, a deep personal connection to me. Anyone else?
4: Yep. Yeah, Graham Burks with Small Room Studios.
0: Good to see you,
4: Graham. Yeah, great to be here. So uh, for fans of your podcast, you know, I think we're all familiar with, with your high high profile guests. You know, people like Matthew Calls from Not A Surf, Howard Grimes, Jody Stevens from Big Star. But I'm curious, who is the highest profile uh, rejection that you received? Who's, what's the interview that, that we never got the to The one hear? that got away?
0: I haven't really gotten a rejection per se. Like no one has said to me no. I have a few people just not respond. And I guess uh, the one that I really wanted to get the most was Paul F. Tompkins, who I've tried to email a couple of times, and he hasn't gotten back to me. And who's your, who's your dream
4: guest? Who, who, who could you have if you could have anybody?
0: It might honestly be Paul F. Tompkins uh, or, some, or Mark Marin, maybe. Some, someone like that who was, like, inspirational to me getting into podcasting as, at a foundational level. Those were the two people that made me say, okay, I will breakdown down and listen to a podcast, so it would seem appropriate to have one of those two guys on. Anybody else? Uh, yeah.
1: What? How is? Uh, how have? You, how has your focus on guests changed from your early days, what you thought you were getting into? Now that you're, you know, a hundred episodes in, uh, which is a lot by a lot of people. They they say that's the mark of like. Then you really kind of know what you're doing. A, do you feel that way? And B, how has your expectations of the show uh, morphed and changed over time?
0: I think recently the show has taken an extremely Memphis-centric slant. I haven't had a lot of, or really any, non-Memphis-connected guests in the past several months. I do think I'd like, not that I... You know, of course, I'm Memphis to the core, but I'd I'd like to branch out a little bit more. I'd like to get back out into uh, non-Memphis waters a little bit uh, here soon. But because um, I, I don't want the podcast to nece- necessarily be thought of as a Memphis music podcast strictly, but it has it has sort of been that lately, and I guess that's that's cool. I'm fine with it either way. Uh, really, the most important thing to me is that the guests come without too much, you know, I don't want to beg or I'm certainly not paying anybody to be on the show. So like, you know, it's got to come easy. It's got to come natural. It's got to be an authentic thing. Um, those are the most important criteria really. Yeah.
1: And I can follow up, you know, just having you, uh, recently having moved back to Memphis. I mean, uh, I mean, I guess part of that just flows naturally with you kind of like getting reacclimated to your hometown, right?
0: Yeah. And the weird thing that has started happening is people are approaching me to be on the show now, which is, I guess, kind of an interesting, you know, for the first year, it was all just me hounding folks. And now folks are reaching out to me and most of those people are from Memphis. So that's just kind of how that's, that's worked out. And with me moving and everything, it's just been easier to book Memphis guests, but I would definitely like to start looking outward a little bit in the future.
3: Hi. uh, I enjoy uh, in live formats or in formats where you're dealing with people, when things go in directions you don't expect them to go. Sure, me too. Uh, I think, honestly, one of my favorite moments in the history of the podcast so far is when you ask Jeremy Scott about the cover, and uh, he starts describing the album cover, but you're, <laughs> actually, <laughs> you're actually talking about the, right. uh, the cover song that's on the record. Lingo the Philadelphia artist. I, I know that the we share a background in print journalism where you have a great deal of control over um, how things are edited and how they come out. What has been the most surprising moment for you? Um, have you ever felt like things have gotten away from you in this new format? I, I guess maybe I'm asking how you've adapted to the medium of podcasting.
0: If anything, the most surprising thing has been how open people are, and how even when there's a subject that I'm kind of a little bit anxious about, or maybe walking on, I'm trying to tread lightly around. I don't know if it's the rapport that we strike up, or I, seem, I just seem like a nice guy or something, but most people really seem to open up and talk to me. And the, the one that really comes to mind is uh, the Alicia Trout interview. I didn't really have any intention to press her for info on Jay or Jay's death or Jay's, you know, mental health issues or any of that stuff. Uh, She just kind of talked about it and it was hard for me to, I just, you know, it was one of those situations where I just let let her talk as much as she could and much as she wanted to, because I didn't feel there was much for me to add to it. Um, But it was very, it was a very powerful thing to listen to her kind of relive you know I'm getting a little bit of goosebumps just now
3: yeah to, to build on that just a little bit I think you're you're right that people do perceive you as a nice guy one of the things is you really just meet people kinda of where they are I talked to you earlier about being a fan you don't really meet them as a fan you can just tell in the way you build your questions in the way you have your conversations with them um, does that come natural To you to just meet people is that something you have to work at
0: well there's certainly a a good amount i do a lot of research before i talk to anybody and i guess that comes from being a journalist but also i think it comes from being a good listener you know there are very often times where there are questions on my list that go unasked because the conversation just naturally goes somewhere else and you have to follow that you can't I think a danger people get into with podcasts is when you're trying to strictly to stick to your own script or your own vision of how you want the conversation to go. Having a list of questions in front of you is fine. But if someone wants to go somewhere else, you have to let them go wherever they want to go. Um,
1: you know, being a podcast host myself on, on the Back to the Light Network, um, I've noticed something. And I'm wondering if you kind of see something similar, what your thoughts are. You know, podcasting is... It's not, it's not brand new by any stretch of the imagination, but in, in terms of it's sitting alongside traditional media in a way that is often viewed as uh, part of what you would go, consider when doing a press push about something, some publicity work. And could you talk a little bit about your thoughts on how podcasts are the new media, podcasts of hosts are, although maybe not technically and by the letter of the law, journalists, we are still unbiased finders of fact, uh, and we present the information. So in a way, since we are journalists, I would love to kind of get your thoughts on that evolving kind of universe of now how podcasts are being taken as seriously. And then, of course, you've got
0: media outlets doing their
1: own podcasts, so there's this crossover. Your thoughts on all that?
0: Well, I certainly think that a podcast like uh, WTF with Mark Marons is probably as value to your average movie star to do as the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon at this point, and whether that's a reflection of the decline in the value of TV or whatever, I, you know, that's not for me to say. But I, I do think podcasting, you know, you could podcasters might not be like all podcasters might not be journalists, but many, many are. You know, you can do anything you want with a podcast. I mean, that's kind of the the great thing. So, like, if you want to have you know, a New York Times Investigates style podcast, you can, or if you wanna just be a dude like me who talks to his friends and people he admires, you can do that too. And I think that's what draws people into it because you see a more true reflection of the host and the guests and everything. There's more freedom, there's more authentic exchange of ideas and less gotta, you know, get my plugs
1: in. And if I could follow up, do you think that's because Uh, It is kind of like by the way it's designed, a more intimate feeling thing. Is that the reason why people are more revelatory or less pluggy? Not that there isn't some amount of plugging and where can people go to find out more information, blah, blah, blah.
0: Sure. You have to do that, especially with certain people that, you know, when I have Jeff Jarrett on my podcast, he definitely wants me to mention when he's wrestling next. Sure. But, um You know, yeah, that's what attracted me to the to the format was I was hearing Mm -hmm. conversations with people I was interested in that you can't hear somewhere else. So I, you know, being a former journalist, the interview process was always my favorite part of it. And so I just sort of thought, what if I could take all the shit I don't like doing out of it and just have the conversations and, you know, here we are 100 episodes in.
4: Yeah. So I'm familiar with uh, a previous era in uh, in your life. Ten years ago, you were involved in the makeshift music collection and a collective, and really kind of cultivated a scene of bands around here. You guys were a label and um, uh, helped release bands like Snow Globe. Um, you know, more recently with your Back to the Light label. Uh, i i see you doing things like holding uh you know label showcases the spring turnout the the back to the light spectacle do you aspire to uh to cultivate uh a new uh, a new Memphis music scene a new generation here
0: i mean i i don't have any grandiose designs like that i i i don't think that we're cultivating our own scene or anything by any means but I mean, you can see, like, I have, like, you can see me hesitating to even talk about it. But I I didn't ever have, really. I didn't want to get back into the label business. I, I only wanted to put out my record. But then I heard this band called Loose Opinions, and then I heard there was this Jeremy record that no one was putting out, and the Subteens had all these amazing songs that no one was ever going to do anything with if I didn't step in. So, so we're here because we have to be here, and I honestly feel that way about the network too. Uh, I mean, not that some not that some of these shows wouldn't find distribution or a home somewhere else, but yeah, I do feel a little bit like Batman. Like a, we exist because we have to, not because we necessarily want to. <laughs>
2: oh. Meg Pynon-Connor from Cuyahoga Falls, Oriole Herald. Um, you used the phrase earlier, Memphis to the core. I'm curious if you could expand on that a little vis-a-vis somebody who is from here but who left and has now returned. Well, I mean, I'm born and raised here. Uh,
0: my dad was a Memphis musician, so I was like, you know, some of my first memories were of his band practices and shows at the Shell and at the Rum Boogie and at the Planet uh whatever it was, Print Mago's Planet or whatever. Um so I've just always been super steeped in Memphis culture and music and everything since the beginning, since as long as I can remember. And as many times as I leave here, I've left three different times. I always come back. I always, I've always found my way back. Most of the music I listen to is Memphis music. It's not that I'm not entirely interested in other stuff, but it's just that, you know... That's just the way it works out, and I I can't explain it any differently than that. It's just I love the city. I love you know I love the music that my friends make, and.
2: And Following up, do you think that other people's reasons? Because it seems like a town where a lot of people leave and come back, leave and come back. Do you think other people have similar reasons to yourself for that?
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, Memphis is an easy city to get frustrated with. I'd be the first to admit it. Um, and I think you have to leave. Sometimes enough is enough. It beats you down for, you know, in certain ways, uh, the, to say nothing of the oppressive heat during the summer. But uh, if you're not in the right frame of mind, Memphis can be a really negative place. Um, and it took, it took me getting away and spending five years in Chicago to have an appreciation for the things I loved about Memphis. And eventually, Uh, The call and the opportunities here became, it got to be too expensive to keep flying back here, you know, five times a year, I couldn't keep doing it. So, um, I don't know if I've answered your question really well, but I mean, uh, yes, uh, Memphis is a mixed bag. And I think leaving uh, everyone here, uh, I know Marvin has, has left and come back that helped. That that deepened your appreciation for the city, didn't it?
2: For sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, uh, what what should one? We talked a brief, briefly about your your forthcoming record, and you might have mentioned the date, but I've lost it. So if you could, repeat. October fourteen. Oh, October fourteen. October and uh, yeah, could you just do a little bit more information on on what to expect on the record? Of you know, thematically, song wise, whatever you'd want to mention, some details.
0: Sure. It's, I mean, you know, I, everyone says that their newest record is their best record, but, you know, I feel that way. And I have a certain feeling about this one that I've never really had before. It was, you know, I, I have a, there's a confidence in me about it that I've never really felt, which is kind of exciting. Uh, musically, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's still a bit punk rock, like the second record, but there are a couple of more down moments Um also. And a lot of guest stars that I don't know if I need to name drop a bunch of names in this podcast, but you know, it was made during the pandemic remotely. There was a lot of remote collaboration with not only Memphis musicians, but folks around the the country and world. But it still feels very cohesive and sounds like a group of guys playing in the room. And that's a testament to all those musicians who contributed. So i don't know i'm super proud of it i'm bad at talking about my own music i'm good at selling other people's shit bad at selling my own
3: coming back to memphis to the core you were talking about how your dad had been a musician here and i know that one of the bands that he had been in and it played i think bass for was the modifiers yeah one of the original uh memphis punk bands um the um, You know, you have been around on the DIY and the punk scene quite a bit. You were one time a member of Pez, which checks a whole lot of Memphis cred boxes. I think to be a Memphis musician, now you have to have played in Pez for a period of time. Is that correct, Marvin? I think it is a requirement.
0: Yeah, I thought that that was true. <laughs> I'm not um, sure how that journalist would know that, but yeah.
3: Yeah, well, he's done some work with the band. Indeed. Uh, but come, coming back to. to um, to the modifiers, um, you've talked about um, Bob Holmes, who was uh, a guitar player here. Who, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would have described him as one of the best guitar players in town, and how.
0: Um I don't think that many people would would say that now. I mean, there's a few, there's a handful of people that remember him, but.
3: Well, I mean, once upon a time, there, there was an, a, that was definitely an opinion among certain groups of, of people. And I know that you um, were a part of the Modifiers reunion and have said that Bob Holmes was sort of your spiritual guide and or not, maybe not guide, but was kind of a motivation for you and that you saw yourself as carrying on his legacy, which is very Memphis to the core if you ask me. well, oh, thank you. And I would like to ask maybe if you could build on the idea of carrying that legacy forward. And I'm sorry that was so convoluted.
0: No, it's okay. Um, I don't know if this is the answer to the question, but I always felt like Bob, I always felt more connected to Bob than I did my own father. Honestly, I always wanted to be Bob. I'd never wanted to be my dad. So I always felt a deep connection with him and like taking care of him later in life when he was in poor health was, was really, really important to me. And, Sort of by default, me and Bubba have inherited most of his personal effects, and you know, I don't know. I guess technically, maybe his brother owns the rights to the music now or something, but no one's no one else would be even thinking of, you know, having 1981 modifiers tapes run through a denoise machine and remastered for future release. But I am. So, again, I mean, I do feel like it's a little bit of the Batman complex thing here. Like, I I do feel like I sort of put, I feel a little put upon because I feel pressure because I feel like no one else would take care of it if I didn't. But I also take pride in doing it. And it means a lot to me to do it. Um, So, uh, releasing modifiers material has sort of fallen to the back burner because I all of a sudden found myself in, in a position to not only put out my own new record, but make a new Subteens record, which is like a dream come true for me. I'm a huge fan of that band, and the record we made is their best record ever by far. It destroys, I mean, no offense, but it destroys, like, it's just a genius record. I love it as much as my record, if, if not more, truly. Um, but there will be Modifiers music that, that sees the light of day someday. Hopefully on vinyl, but at least in the digital realm.
2: I think no matter what's being covered journalism-wise these days, it seems kind of inevitable that what's going on in the country right now is creeping into everything. I was wondering if you expect sort of the atmosphere we're in in this country where a lot of systems are kind of collapsing and breaking down, if any of that is going to consciously work its way into what you do with the podcast or subconsciously, or do you make a conscious effort to try to keep that at bay from your subject matter.
0: Well, I'm not like a frontlines political person, but I'm not apolitical either, and I think that it would be, you know, kind of ridiculous to completely ignore that the fact that the world is on fire right now. It has always I mean all you have to do listen to the JPK, John Paul Keith episode that I did, or Matthew Cause with Not a Surf, from Not a Surf. We spent half the time talking about, you know, things that were scaring us to death going on in the world it just happens if you're having an honest conversation with somebody and you say what's going on with you it just you know unless they're oblivious or something it's it just happens naturally i don't think it's a something i don't go in with an agenda like let's do some huge political conversation or episode but i'm certainly open to it also so it 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 gets in there all the time
3: I'm going to move the subject, the the, um, question away from you personally just a little bit, but still talk about your move back to Memphis. Um, You left Memphis in 2017? yeah. Yeah, and you just came back this year. How is the Memphis you
0: um, found when you returned
3: (laughs) different than the Memphis you left?
0: Well, it's more expensive. (laughs) I can tell you that. Uh, My rent is higher. Um but it's still not as expensive as chicago so that's it's cool you know my vet bills have gone way down so uh because uh taking sick cats to the vet is super it's ridiculous in chicago don't even get a pet if you can hear me chicago don't get one if you're thinking about it it's too expensive but um you know, and there's all this new construction and buildings and stuff in the city. That's weird. Uh, it's a mixed bag. There's great stuff like the Memphis Listening Lab that we're sitting in. It's amazing, and there's some lame stuff that I don't, I don't even need to mention. Like so P and
2: being gone.
0: Sure. Um, totally being bulldozed for like an apartment building or whatever it was it's a chain hookah bar where it was oh yeah it's the
3: chain hookah bar of your dreams
0: sweet just what we needed when there isn't there a hookah bar just like directly across the street at minglewood hall probably there is there is that's where the gunshots were (laughs) there were gunshots there recently (laughs) but anyway um never changed so memphis is all has was a mixed bag before and it was a mixed bag now I think it's a little bit better in a lot of ways. I think there are a lot of more artistic opportunities. There are organizations like Music Export Memphis that are looking to take care of musicians in a way that no one ever has. At least they're trying to. Yeah. You know, Music Foundation, Music Commission, they just bought themselves fancy offices and gave themselves big salaries or whatever and said, you know, Here's, we'll throw the crumbs to the musicians. At least elizabeth is trying to do something cool and this place is trying to do something cool and crosstown arts is trying to bring in interesting art that you know we wouldn't see otherwise so it's mostly better what don't you think all right i mean yeah so the apartment the the new construction sucks and you know whatever zaxby's and <laughs> you know we don't need it but whatever hot chicken places like yeah Nashville. do we need like you know, how many <laughs> chicken places do we need in like a one block a one mile radius you know i don't know but it's fine are we good all right thank you guys for coming out thank you okay is that it's it. good yeah can be if, if anyone's got anything else i'm here but that can be that's an episode that yeah. that's the show thank you to all my friends in the media scrum of course and the memphis listening lab for hosting us but most importantly thank you for listening for music news episode archives and other fine podcasts visit backtothelight.net and until next time episode 101 take care y'all of the Back to the Light podcast network at backtothelight.net.